what's happening, particularly in this parable, and we'll, we'll see in a moment, is that the men were very involved in the process in the bride's household of getting her ready. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But I think that's really important is that this parable reveals to us what it means to wait and be prepared. And for a man who wants to pursue his masculinity, I think there's a lot to be learned from it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. You are on a journey of faith each and every day of your life, and you're either growing or shrinking, but we want to be part of your growth plan. We want you to be thriving, not surviving in your faith. And part of that is knowing what you believe and why you believe it, being able to critically think through what your belief system is and solidify it so that when someone asks you what you believe and why, you have an answer for them and you can't be swayed by the manipulations of the world or others. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without the one, the only, the <laughs> salty pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. So good to be with you, everybody. I'm glad that you were here today digging in with me into what the scriptures teach and then how they apply to our lives. I think that uh, one of the most important parts about being a part of this podcast world is that it helps you not be manipulated or be deceived. That's why I try to focus mostly on ways of thinking and, and then highlighting through the historical, archaeological, uh, uh, biblical, all of the evidences to give you a deeper flavor because context means a lot. And once you kind of dig in a little bit, you learn so much more, and then that really helps you when somebody tries to manipulate you or, you know, throw something that uh, doesn't sound quite right at you because you're just used to digging deeper. You go, hmm, I think I'll, I won't take that at face value. I'll dig a little deeper and figure out what it means. So I think that's really important to have critical thinking skills in regards to being a mature person. Absolutely. Well, I want to do a quick review for those of you who maybe weren't able to join us on Tuesday about what we talked about. We are studying the parables of Jesus. And on Tuesday, we talked about mm -hmm. the parable of the 10 virgins, which is in Matthew chapter 25. It's one of the most important things um, that we can really understand because it really applies to our spiritual life overall, right? Yeah. And, and I got a couple things out of this parable. Number one, the point of the parable is to use a real life ex experience and experience the way that people um, were really familiar with back then. That's the thing that I think is so confusing to us nowadays is a lot of these parables are based on the lifestyle and the customs of the people that it was written for or yes. they were originally told. So we sometimes struggle connecting with the parables because we don't understand it because mm -hmm. our life is so different from their lives. Mm -hmm. And so understanding that Jesus was using something that was super familiar to those people. He wasn't speaking in stories mm -hmm. that they wouldn't. Uh, yeah, that very were, familiar with. Yes. Uh, the second point was we walked through um, a Jewish wedding process so that we could really understand what yeah. that was pertaining to and, and it helps communicate that we as followers are very similar mm -hmm. to a bride and in preparing ourselves that the more we understand that ceremony the more we can understand what we're needing in our spiritual mm -hmm. lives mm -hmm. and actually uh i 
uh, your son texted me after listening to the podcast about that Jewish ceremony. He said, hey, you've got a wedding coming up. Are you taking some ideas from the Jewish ceremony <laughs> as what things we should be doing for your wedding? And I said, no, I don't think we're going to be. So. I don't think we're going to be parading around Nampa for my <laughs> wedding. Right. I feel like that might be a bit of an ask. Congratulations, by the oh, way. Oh, thank you. And finally, uh, the third point I got out of it that I have written down is the parable has a simple point that we should be ready for Jesus to come and claim his people at any time. Yeah. And by understanding that perspective of the people who heard the story helps me really understand how I can be prepared for his coming because mm -hmm. they were waiting patiently yeah. for the groom to show up. And that's the same thing. Well, that in, we're in the story, in they the understood story. what it meant. Yes. And so I want to, we, we talked about all the history. We talked about yes. all of the, the context pastor. I want to get down to the brass tacks. <laughs> brass tacks. Let's get practical. Show me what this parable has to say to me today and our listeners. Well, the first point is of the parable is stated, be prepared. The, these virgins, like the Boy Scouts. yeah, they were not, they were not prepared properly. And the imagery of the bride and the groom coming at an unknown hour to claim his bride, you know, uh, and take her back to a new home that he has built is pretty clear. It's really a parallel, and we see this all throughout the New Testament, uh, of Jesus after he ascended to heaven. He said uh, in John chapter 14, before he ascended to heaven, but he ascended into heaven and left. But in John 14, he said, this is what I'm going to be doing when I ascend. He says, I am going to prepare a place for you. Right. And in my father's house, there are many rooms, mm. you see. And so I am going to be there. So by understanding what happened in this year long betrothal is also uh, helpful for us today, understanding what it means to wait and be prepared. And one of the things I think, you know, as a guy, one of the things that I've always had to think about is I feel the Lord is called me and other men to be masculine men, mm. uh, not particularly alpha males, because, you know, I kind of feel like, you know, alpha males are just hunters, you know, they preen and they go out and they hunt and then they go hunt something else, you know, um, uh, masculine men are keepers. You know, what they do is they build and then they keep so that they can build on what they have built. Okay. So they're not nomadic, right? Right. Uh, in a sense, what they are is they're builders. Build and protect. Build and protect. Provide and protect. And so I feel in this situation, you know, what does it mean to be a masculine man? I mean, if I look at myself as a bride, that seems kind of wussy. So I'm not really excited about that. But the more I think about it, I think the issue of if I understand the Jewish culture is that what, what's happening, particularly in this parable, and we'll, we'll see in a moment, is that the men were very involved in the process in the bride's household of getting her ready. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But I think that's really important, is that this parable reveals to us what it means to wait and be prepared. And for a man who wants to pursue his masculinity, I think there's a lot to be learned from it. Yeah, I think this is something that I never really got out of this parable when I was reading it. I've heard it so many times, like most people, and I just kind of go to the main point, which is be prepared, right? Yeah. You know, Get ready. Boy Scouts, always be ready, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but 
I never really thought about seeing it through the eyes of the people who lived this truth each and every day of their lives back mm -hmm. then, right? Mm -hmm. Most important thing in Jewish culture at that time, other than religious ceremonies, was getting married and birthing children, yep. right? Everything it's, about it's that. A, it's a primary responsibility. So by understanding what the bride was doing during the uh, er Erusine? Is that how <laughs> Erusine, it is? Erusine, yeah. Erusine? Yeah, the or, or the betrothal yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, it makes me think about the life that I'm... I'm I'm leading right now as a follower of Jesus so differently. Instead of a time, you know, where I'm looking at all of the things that are bad about my life as far mm -hmm. as, you know, long suffering or disappointments I do or uh, persecution or, or rejection that I just have to tolerate until I can go to heaven, my time on earth can instead be looked at as a time of anticipation mm -hmm. that brings joy. Yeah, absolutely. It's a time of blessing where I get to prepare for all of the incredible things that God is, is preparing for me in the future mm -hmm. in heaven right mm -hmm. so I, it's a very large perspective shift of as opposed to woe is me it's a i am preparing and waiting mm -hmm. with bated breath for this moment that i know will be coming yeah and i mean exactly well said it's it's not that life is easy it, it's it's hard and difficult but we look at these difficulties and challenges and these oppressions by preparing ourselves in even in the process of great suffering or persecution, it's a joyful thing to continue to prepare ourselves. One of the main goals, you know, let's look at the, the way that the bride and her family prepared for her being, you know, called out. Some more context of their time. Yeah. Okay. So, so dear, and this is where you could really see how men were really involved. And that is, um, what are the first thing that the bride had to do is to make a dress. Have you ever seen that show, uh, Say Yes to the Dress? Have I seen it? No, but I no. am aware of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't say I've ever seen it either. I am aware of it. I think it uh, uh, is what gave rise to the concept of the Bridezilla. Right? Yes. I, I mean, I think Bridezilla existed long before. This was just um, a larger public view of where it can go. You can and see it in all its glory. Extreme versions of it. <laughs> now, I know that... Um, that these situations create a lot of humor and that's why people watch them and drama. But one thing the show did, I think is show what a big deal it is to pick the right dress and how long it takes, you know, multiple fittings, multiple times. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, sometimes it's, I mean, some people are like, Oh, boom, it's just done. That's how my fiance was. She went yeah. to two places and she found it. So yeah. she was blessed that way. But, but she still went uh, to two places. She went to two places, and she yeah. I'm, I don't know how many dresses she tried on in between those two places. It wasn't she walked into the second place, pulled the first one off the rack, and was right. like, this is it. It's a process. Yeah. It's, and so we look at a process, and you think, wow, it could take a whole day of shopping. It, it could, could take, take weekends. It could, it could take, take multiple months. days mm -hmm. just to get a dress. Now, just imagine. Just imagine if you not only had to find what kind of dress you wanted, but then you had to go make it from scratch. That okay? is a much larger commitment. <laughs> so, so basically, this is what you would have to do. is First, you would have to shear the sheep. Then you would have to wash and clean the wool. Then you would have to take, put the wool through a softening process, right? Wool doesn't just come out nice and no, it, silky you know, smooth. Uh, the wool I remember <laughs> growing up was always itchy. Yes. But they, they had all these processes to really 
soften it. You know, I mean, if you, you can wear now really nice wool brazier stuff, they're not itchy at all. Um, you know, it's just high quality wool. Well, they perfected this process of creating a fabric to, or a textile. And so what they would do is they would soften the wool. Um, they'd soak it in oil. They would do various, various other things. Then you would have to spin the wool into thread, not yarn, but actual thread. And then you would have to take this wool thread and you'd have to put it on a loom. Okay. And you would have to make fabric, right? A piece of cloth. And then you would have to take that and you'd have to put a pattern on it. You'd have to cut cut it out. out, Right. (laughs) Then what you would have to do is you would have to stitch the whole thing together by hand. There are no sewing machines. Okay, so so when you start thinking about this, I'm think I when I first got into this, I was thinking, man, that guy, the groom, he has to go home and build a house for his wife. You know, he's got a year to do it. You know, there's and there's no subcontractors coming right. in. You know, uh, you just got to get busy and you got to go out and get the materials. Sometimes you got to make the materials right. You got to cut the logs down, and you're thinking, man, that guy and his brothers and his dad are busy building this thing. No wonder it's going to take a year. Then you start thinking about making a dress, and right. you start to realize. Oh my goodness. Work too. <laughs> yeah, they were I think it would be harder to get the dress made in time than it would be to build the house. Absolutely. That's how complicated it was. So, now this is a scary thing to bring up. Uh, I'm not trying to be crass, but often girls were betrothed in their teen years, right? They would get married a year later and what happens to the female uh uh body type in their years they transforming rapidly they transform rapidly and over the course of a year the dress you know that you initially planned may not fit a year later you know what i'm saying you're gonna have to let it out and so or or figure it out because what i want you to understand as you listen to this podcast is how the society and culture functioned around the this betrothal year it dominated everything and it wasn't just a woman thing you can bet your bottom dollar that the men in the house the brothers the father the uncles of the bride were all involved because they were the ones who had to get the sheep shear the sheep prepare the the uh wool they had to turn it into a textile a fabric by the say and then the mother of the bride you know i'm sure that as soon as the betrothal happened she said let's get cracking and the men got to work most mothers of the bride yes. it's yeah. okay now we're in <laughs> yeah we're in so, no time gentlemen <laughs> so it's a lot different than today i was talking to a buddy of mine uh and his uh daughter had gotten married a couple of years ago and i said so how are you surviving the process he goes well it's not too bad i just show up whenever my wife says and bring the checkbook <laughs> well today it's a little easier than it was back then yes. because the, the you had to create everything from scratch and in the ceremony itself it was critical that the uh bride wore a white dress and they have a special name for it because what it did is it expressed blessing and purification of God upon this union, you know, and we can get into the whole process, not just of wool, but of linen, you know, linen was a big deal. And a lot of these dresses would be made out of linen. That's even more complicated process. So it's very important to understand it's time consuming. It took months and months and months and months to get this thing done. And you can imagine 
how often they, they uh, in, during this time of making this dress, that they would have to put it on and take it off, put it on and take it off. You know, not the whole dress, but just they would, you know, cut one piece segments. of fabric from the back and yep. they put it up. Okay. You know, hey, honey, got to try this on. We got to fit. So it was just constantly fitting. And then as she's developing and changing, they're probably trying to make you know, see what I'm saying is they're just yep. constantly doing this on and off, on and off. Why get this picture in your head? Why, why would you want to know this level of depth about this parable in regard to how they made the dress and they had to put the dress on, take the dress off, and they went through all of these modifications on the dress to get it to fit just perfectly? Well, listen to these words from Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 when he talks about Jesus. He goes, now remember, this is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ. What he's talking about is people who were living fleshly. He says, you were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to take off your old self because it's being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And then you need to be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So you see, where did Paul get this imagery to teach this? Well, he got it from this lifestyle, this process that these Jewish people lived every single day and is directly connected to this parable of the 10 virgins that Jesus taught. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I mean, it gives us a much deeper understanding of those teachings that Paul had for us. I mean, it's that idea of taking off the old self. Cause I mean, in without any, any of the context you just gave us, it just sounds like, okay, like you're, what are you taking off of your old? Like that yeah. doesn't make sense, right? It's a very yeah. vague term in our understanding, but if you pair it with this thing that would have been known well mm-hmm. for everybody and something that they were deeply immersed in taking off the old self, like taking off the wedding dress and, yeah. and, adjusting and fitting and changing multiple times to make it fit perfect. Yeah. And having this beautiful white, perfect, holy blessed. Yeah. Garment at the end, it, it makes way more sense what Mm -hmm. that process would look like. So how exactly do we do that? Cause I'm, I don't, it doesn't even as complicated I'm not planning as, on wearing it. Yeah, as as complicated (laughs) as that sounds already, it sounds like it would not be uh, the same process for us spiritually. Well, if you go back just a little bit in the same chapter of uh, Ephesians chapter four, I think the answer is pretty clear because in verse 11, Paul says, God or Jesus Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So he's saying that you are to be equipped, which is similar to being prepared, mm. right? And so you need to be trained up, okay? So 
this process of, okay, let's go back to the bride. You know, if she's young and she's starting the process, what do you think her mom constantly told her when she was trying to get a pattern to fit or cut the pattern for the fabric once it was uh, f completed by the men? You know, what would she, what did she keep telling that young girl all the time? What do moms always tell their young girls when they're sitting there doing this all the time? Stand up straight. Stand up straight. <laughs> she's got, she's probably whacking stand up straight you know you're going to be beautiful stand up straight it's your posture so equipping is this process of training you up to stand up straight to face the world and this is a great challenge for young men and that is is that you, you you're supposed to face the world with right head on with your chin up and your shoulders back Mm. And this is something that our society is lost. And that's why young men slouch so much is because I don't, I don't think it's because they're not being trained to stand up. I think the reason is because our society at large has denigrated masculinity so much that when men be start to grow into their strength, right, they tend to want to, they want to pull back a little bit. And so they don't want that unless they're athletes, you know, athletes walk tall. And that's why athletics has become such a thing that's worshiped in our society. Well, the whole point of, you know, the church is to help young men become masculine and young women to become confident and courageous. And the way we do this as Christians is we prepare for this coming of the, of the groom, right? By being equipped, who equips us? Well, these leadership roles in the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. What am I being equipped to do? Well, serve, meaning I have a job. I have a responsibility in this life. What is my responsibility tied to? Well, it's tied to the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God. Okay. So I'm here to serve, to help people do what be built up, bring unity and have the knowledge of the son of God. That's why the church is there to help people discover Christ and who God really is in this reality in which you live your, your identity in him. And then what happens when we do that? He, Paul tells us you become mature. You see being prepared is growing into maturity. All right. What is maturity? Well, we uh, attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We learn everything that we are to have in Christ, who we are and what we're supposed to become. Then, and once this process happens, this level of maturity happens. This is why we always say, know what you believe and why you believe it. Uh, think for yourself, grow to maturity. Listen to this. When you grow to maturity, the first thing that happens is you learn the fullness of everything that Christ has for you in your life. And then the second thing it says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful 
scheming. So the more mature you are, the less you live like an infant and the less you are manipulated, the, the less you are controlled. You think for yourself, you know who you are, you know where you're at, you know your convictions. And when you have that, you have something that is so rare and you have an authentic confidence mm. and not a bloviating confidence, not an arrogance, not a narcissism, just a quiet sense of, I know who I am. I know where I'm going. And I know why all of these things around me are just the wind blowing crafty and scheming and cunning and deceitful ideologies at me. And they don't influence me anymore because I have maturity. And so that's what it means to be prepared. And the virgins that were prepared, the mature ones, right? They had said, okay, I know how this works. I'm going to bring some extra oil. What were the ones that were flighty and didn't think ahead and immature? They were immature. And so that's, what's really important to understand. Being prepared is about growing up spiritual adulting. This means knowing what you believe, why you believe it, and your convictions, getting your head aligned with your heart. This is so important. Getting your head aligned with your heart. That's when you cannot be tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine. You see, my heart and my head are in alignment. I just don't have this burning faith, you know, in my heart of devotion, but my head backs it up, right? Mm, yes. I know the truth. Um, something that just came out recently that I think is to realize that our society is trying to manipulate and influence you in this, our society, particularly non-believers are trying to influence the church and its role. The, the society out there doesn't like the church and doesn't want it around. Jesus said, this is going to happen all the time. But people in America have conflated American culture and Christianity so much. They can't believe that the society doesn't want them. Mm. But I'm like, I've been around long enough to know this isn't a new phenomena. Right. You know, I mean, the church has been, you know, pushed to be marginalized, marginalized, to compromise, you know, forever since the seventies. Uh, in my own experience, I, I remember that, uh, case in point, there is a, uh, an article here by the Idaho statement, uh, that just came out. Let me see if I can pull this thing up here. And what it is, is it is an article that talks about, um, uh, it, the, uh, the editorial board from the Idaho Statesman basically said, we need you to keep, there's a group coming that was going to do a, uh, worship con concert on the steps of the Idaho Statesman. And they said, basically, like you, the capital steps, yeah, the capital steps here. Okay. And so they wrote and they published it on the front page of the Idaho Statesman. It was this whole, uh, keep your religion out of our government. Okay. Let me see if I can pull it up here. It says, keep your religion out of our government. Dangerous activists are coming to Idaho capital. Now I have to give you full disclosure. I don't know what this group you know, all, I don't know all their tenants. I don't know all, all this stuff. All I know is this guy, Sean, uh, Fute, uh, has a group called hold the line and it's affiliated with what I feel is a relatively, uh, respectable organization called turning point USA. It's was formed by a young man by the name of Charlie Kirk. 
right? right? And he speaks a lot. He writes a lot. And he's, you know, right in the same vein as all of these other conservative uh, uh, writers and people who go out and advocate in the political realm. No problem with that. Freedom of speech, they do all their own thing. So in his organization, though, in Turning Point, unlike other commentators, he emphasizes uh, his Christianity. He's a, he's a very committed Christian, and so he emphasizes the need for Christians to be more involved and influence their society. So oh, well, there's nothing wrong with that. But what I found so interesting about this is they, they, he calls this, this uh, uh, group, uh, the editorial board, basically says that this represents a dangerous, right, a dangerous Christian nationalism. And then what they do is they said, we have a letter from faith leaders from Salem, Oregon, Olympia, Washington, and even Boise, who wrote a little letter that said, basically, we are opposed to all Christians that don't adopt and affirm LGBTQ+, transgender movement, radical transgender ideology. These so-called faith leaders in Boise um, are from these uh, secular uh, Jewish congregations. You know, they're not even uh, theistic congregations. They're secular Jews. So they have no belief in divinity. What they do is they have a belief in their ethnic uh, national identity as Jewish people, right? And then they uh, had other people that signed this document that the statesmen uh, relied upon for the entire content of their uh, opinion piece that they ran from groups that Orthodox Christians, even in the Treasure Valley, consider non-Christian groups like the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship. See, they don't. They are a pagan group. They don't believe in God. Right. Okay. And then the United Church of Christ, which doesn't believe in Jesus. And so everybody knows these things, but it just was, I guess, important to the editorial board and then the statesmen to run it on the front page to say something that was really ridiculous. And that is keep your religion out of our government. And what, what's fascinating to me is just the outright bigotry towards all Christian, Orthodox Christianity. Right, what what would consider mainstream Christianity, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to intimidate people. Say, well, you don't belong in government. So what they're actually saying is that America is not a government of the people for the people. America is a government of us and our religious bigotry and what we think. And you got to stay out of it because you're dangerous. That's not democracy. That's not a representative republic. But that's happening right here in Boise, Idaho. And I know a lot of people that are wanting to move to Idaho to get away from what they say in their own mind. Man, it's getting so crazy in these other states and stuff like that. I want to I come here because it seems a little more conservative. Well, don't count your chickens before your <laughs> eggs are hatched. Because unless you grow to spiritual maturity... You can be influenced by these things. I think the statesman ran this article to not, it's not going to convince these people that came to have this worship service on the Capitol steps. They're going to keep doing what they're doing. It's not going to influence people who are mature in their faith, but guess who it is going to influence? Those who are immature. Those who are immature. The ones yeah. that don't read past the big bold letters on the front page and right. go, 
well, who are these people they're quoting? And yeah. do these actually... Is it actually true? And right. does this really represent means, you know, do these groups that wrote this letter against, you know, do are they, they call themselves faith leaders. They don't call themselves Christians. Right. They call themselves faith leaders. And so until you start to understand how people use terms, terms and language to manipulate you, well, you don't learn that unless you think for yourself and you grow to maturity. So I think it's really important to understand that being prepared is very similar to building a house or making a dress. It takes a long time, sometimes a little trial and error, but you got to keep going because there's an end in time. And the end for us is when that trumpet blast, that shofar, that ram's horn is sounded, and we realize that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is here, and we are ready to go. Well, thank you, Pastor, for giving us all that context, for walking us through why this is applicable to us today. A parable about a wedding, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago may not seem super applicable today, but with the context and understanding, we now understand why it matters and why we should care. Um, we want to make sure you guys know that you are able to help support the Salty Pastor, even if you're not here local in Boise, Idaho, in the Treasure Valley. Um, we want to make this available to more and more people. So if you're a listener in Arizona, California, Nevada, Kansas, Missouri, Colorado, or any of the other great states in America, you can do that uh, right now through foothills.org. But in the very, very near future, you will see a post all about the brand new Salty Pastor uh, dot com website launching, and then you can give directly to the Salty Pastor through that. So keep an eye out for that, and we will see you next week here on the Salty Pastor Podcast.